your house is going to see two and a half meters of water in the next three hours. It will come from this direction. It will stay for an hour. But since it appears that you have mud mortar walls, it may be best to evacuate. The best house wow. to go to may be the house, which is two buildings away, uh, but it's a concrete house with three stories. So, and this is the best route that you can take or, or, or you know, any, wow. any center that we point to. That's what we have the capability to do as of today in affordable costs, Hello and welcome to the season 2 of Understanding the Future. I am your host Punit Gandhi and Climate Center for Cities is excited to bring to you a podcast about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, sustainability and innovation. We will talk to experts working on ground as well as in the top management of government and non-governmental organizations to better understand how the field looks like in future. This will help us in preparing to enable climate actions as well as gauge the type of skill sets and jobs that would be required in future to solve complex challenges. If you are listening to it for the first time, do tune into Season 1. Hello and welcome to the Season 2 of Understanding the Future. I'm your host, Punit Gandhi, and today we have with us Dr. Anshu Sharma. He is the co-founder of Sustainable Environment and Ecological Development Society called SEALS. He will help us understand about disaster resilience in the cities. Welcome to the show, Dr. Anshu. Thank you, Punit. A great pleasure being here. And hello, everyone. First, I would like to congratulate you for your award that you received recently, Subhash Chandra Bose, Abda Prabandhan Puraskar in 2021. Thank you for your service on those lines. Thank you. Uh, it's a privilege. So uh, let's let's start uh, talking about disaster resilience. But before that, let's try and understand what are we, what do we mean by disaster? Or what are we talking about disaster and what is it in urban context as of now? So, you know, I think that's a great starting point. And uh, while there are many official definitions with a lot of jargon in them, but fundamentally, I think we are all good if we can understand and be on the same page that disaster is a fundamentally an issue of capacity to deal with anything that goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, even colloquially in life, there are very small things that you call disasters. You're going for yeah. going for work and you spill coffee on your shirt. You say, oh God, that's a disaster, right? But you have yeah. another shirt in your cupboard. It just takes another minute and you change it. And that's well and good. But if you were entering an interview room and you spill the same coffee on your shirt, then it's a little yeah. more difficult because you don't have a cupboard and you don't have another shirt. So that being a very simple day-to-day -day kind of an example, I think the, uh, the part of how we define a disaster that we all need to understand is that it's so much to do with your capacity to manage something that has gone wrong. So if in a neighborhood or in a, an apartment block or in a slum, something happens, yeah. uh, a fire incident happens, uh, somebody falls ill, but people around him or her are able to pull the resources together and respond and take care of that situation. Yeah. I think we are good, right? It's, a, it's an adverse event that got managed. Yeah. The moment it goes outside the capacity of that group of people or that uh, institution to manage, that's when it enters the realm of disasters. Even by definition, we say that you're not able to manage the situation and you're having to call for outside help. Mm 
Yeah. So, uh, so now one part is the definition side, but the other part, and I think we'll talk a lot more about this today, is instead of uh, focusing almost entirely on how you will respond and what nature of the disaster can occur, it's yeah. the, I think the focus primarily needs to be on how your capacities are doing and how much you can do to bump those up because the bar at which your system fails depends on your capacity as much yeah. as it depends on the nature of the event so that's like a that's like a very generic setting the line of where we need to be and yeah. get ourselves there but uh, you mentioned cities so i think in terms of cities this becomes a little more uh, critical because so far as with any other learning system we have been learning based on past trends and past experiences yeah. right so those experiences are way more uh, you know established uh, and they have been longer term in rural contexts yeah. uh, we have seen more disasters we've seen the ecosystem evolve there are people who are deep rooted institutions that are deep rooted yeah Uh, rural societies have themselves seen so much and learned from it and improved over time that there's a lot of traditional wisdom also that comes into play so a lot of our institutional learning uh, formal and informal both is is primarily in the rural domain yeah. urbanization by virtue itself is a newer phenomenon but more uh, critically uh, at present in in fact as per the last census which was 10 years ago we have about 8000 cities 7935 to be precise right yeah a majority of these 8000 cities are growing very fast yeah uh, the the bigger ones are growing faster yeah and a majority of them are growing without any plans uh, it's uh, it's fairly shocking for someone who's not from the sector to realize that about 3/4 of the cities have been growing without any development plans in mm-hmm. fact till a few years ago we didn't even have base maps for many of our cities you know a very basic map was not available nowadays of course we download from google and we can do yeah. a lot uh, with technology but it's cities that are growing really fast it's where half of the country uh, is living and the share will go on increasing and yeah. they don't have a plan right yeah. so so the result is that one we don't know what capacity we have to deal with a large scale adverse event True. secondly uh, by the time we try to understand what's happening in a city and try to contain risk or reduce risk you know different ways safety of buildings the infrastructure emergency response police fire hospitals everything by yeah. the time you try to fix something there's a lot more of risk that has been built uh, particularly in the informal sectors that are growing very rapidly so uh, so let me pause here but i would say that this is the domain we are dealing with it's very fuzzy uh, there are some definitions and some systems that float around but real life is far more complicated than it appears in a disaster management model yeah and a lot of the stuff we deal with is very physical photographable but there's a lot more that happens which is behavioral as we are seeing with the covid the second wave right now uh, that we need to deal with yeah i know I, i i do understand and this again comes up i think now better for me as well because i have been involved in this ecosystem or urban planning ecosystem for last two two and a half years now and that kind of brings me to the point where okay now i understand this is disaster and this is the kind of problems it causes but when we traditionally uh, like at least from the disaster management perspective we are looking at it we kind of uh, divided during the research i found that we kind of divided into couple of things that 
we first look at it from preparedness perspective then what do we plan uh, when the disaster happens how do we plan things then immediate response and recovery and then comes rehabilitation so how if you can explain each of these in a context which can help our audience understand better uh, what is the journey of the whole disaster management so let me try to do this uh, with an example i think that sure. can help us best so uh, when i was starting my career the very early uh, lessons for me was to travel down to uh, andhra pradesh Yeah, and in the nineties, uh, Andhra Pradesh was a noted and quoted case study because Andhra had done a lot uh, on disaster preparedness, including deployment of technology, plans, community groups, and all. Hmm. So, as I went, uh, moved around, and met people, and I read about it, uh, the story that comes out is that in nineteen seventy seven, there was a major cyclone in Andhra Pradesh. Hmm. Uh, completely devastated the coastline. Over ten thousand people are reported to have been killed. Uh, and the systems were completely overwhelmed yeah following that the state government of andhra pradesh took upon itself to fix systems right so um, management plans were made uh, down to every last village there were uh, committees and teams that were set up they were trained a communication system was set up that would even work when you know physical lines go down through ham radio yeah. and stuff like that now in 1996 another cyclone struck the area it was almost as severe as the 77 one a little lower than that yeah. but the impact it created was uh, was a fraction of what had happened in uh, 1977 there was impact on uh, the landscape also on buildings but a huge number of lives could be saved because people responded uh, there was some organized way of doing it uh, people evacuated there was a warning uh, and life loss was in a few hundreds so mm-hmm. so so let me now break this down into two or three uh, lessons that can be drawn which form you know this context of different uh, kinds of preparedness that you can do yeah. firstly disasters uh, as a trigger event which we would otherwise call a hazard you know unless it kills people and destroys buildings it's not a disaster right? charles richter in the context of earthquakes is a founder of yeah. the uh, you know the inventor of the richter Uh, after whom the Richter scale is named and the yeah. seismograph, he had famously quoted, "Earthquakes don't kill people; buildings do." Yeah. Right. So, okay. with that same same uh, elaboration, we'll say that cyclones may keep occurring and they will keep occurring. And now we know for sure with IMD, uh, you know, telling us scientifically that cyclones are getting stronger with every passing decade. Yeah. But you can reduce losses. So, firstly, it's cyclic. and so the related model in disaster management is also called the disaster management cycle but it's cyclic it will come you may have forgotten the last pandemic because it happened 100 years ago and now yeah. it shocks us uh, we may have forgotten the last tsunami because it had happened a few hundred years ago before yeah. the 2004 one came and it again shocked us so periodicities may be different annual floods happen every year and we remember them very well but almost all the hazards are cyclic Uh, and between cycles is the opportunity to learn and improve now by default when an adverse event happens you will respond you will look for people you will do search and rescue you will provide first aid medical response you will give them food aid uh, shelter relief tent bhi lagayenge all of those things will happen yeah. so so there will be a during emergency or immediately after the emergency kind of response 
there will be a slightly longer term response from a few days to a few weeks or months Yeah. then you enter what is called the recovery phase where you start rebuilding gradually maybe initially you'll do temporary structures schools houses health centers yeah. and all then you'll go on to longer term recovery and rehabilitation which will mean not only reconstruction of the infrastructure and buildings but also rehabilitating people's lives their livelihoods you know helping those who've been thrown off gear economically yeah. and so on and once all of that is has happened and hopefully you have done this in a way that the 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 setting is now better and safer than it was before the earth, before the disaster yeah uh, which now is called build back better you know yeah. when you have to build back do it better than it was last time so hopefully when you've done that and done it well is a time to start thinking of the next one right yeah. in fact now we say you should start thinking of the next one even while the first one is you know wrapping up because you never know how how much the gap between these cyclic events is sure. so when you've done that or ideally right from earlier stages you would be doing uh, what was earlier called disaster prevention in the 90s hmm. then we realized that you can't prevent disaster so we called it uh, disaster okay. mitigation and preparedness and the difference yeah. between mitigation and preparedness being that on under mitigation you would uh, take actions which would reduce the possibility of impact from that hazard Yeah. so for example if there is a fire risk in an urban slum settlement you would try to switch to uh, non flammable building yeah. materials you would try to remove the extra fuel like garbage dumps and all so you would reduce the fire incident itself and preparedness on the other hand would uh, include measures that assume that the incident will happen and mm-hmm. then you will respond better and quickly so a fire extinguisher or a, you know small fire engine or a first aid kit and people trained to respond is a preparedness measure so that's how they were distinguished and then with the un coming in in a very big way and all member states mm-hmm. measuring up to that uh, with a series of world conferences and commitments that have happened we are now living through what is called the sendai framework for disaster risk reduction so it was further broken down reducing risk was seen from the lens of having good governance mm-hmm. a governance system that understands risk and plans accordingly budgets accordingly good science uh, that is able to anticipate and do early warnings uh, and education uh, good dissemination along with that education and investment in you know all of these strategies mm-hmm. uh, also going down to finer details of underlying risks uh, climate change is being spoken about a lot mm-hmm. but till date the climate change conversation and the disaster conversation have much lesser interface than they need to they are, they are very very deeply connected as natural phenomena but we are we are still managing them differently we have different mm-hmm. ministries in charge we have different agencies that are working we have different departments in universities that are researching and teaching these so so that's the kind of uh, in exchange that this underlying risk uh, priority tries to build and finally we say prepare it will happen despite your best efforts things will go wrong be prepared how you will respond and be prepared to even build back and make sure that you build back better so that's that's how you know we see this cycle there are of course many graphic representation there are many theories uh, that our viewers can uh, look at very easy to find online but i think it it works best when you set it in a real life context and you see yourself how you've handled a couple of different things in life uh, difficult things in life and how you've learned and improved i think what we are trying to do in this domain is to 
make that learning and improvement a little more conscious a little more efficient and it was you know system wide rather than ad hoc yeah no i i do resonate with your point over there because i have personally experienced two floods in surat uh, 98 and 2006 i do distinctly remember how in the 2006 while the waters were i think a bit more than 98 but still it would uh, the infrastructure was brought in at the point where your mud and all your sludge was taken off as quickly as possible you proper chlorination of things bleach were thrown everywhere so that you don't get uh, post disaster diseases and all spread through uh, and that is the kind of difference i think uh, build back, uh, back better does bring into picture now when yeah. we look at indian context uh, we have eastern coast where major amount of uh, cyclones come into picture uh, western state where also there is quite a lot of cyclones but again uh, uh, i think on the years western side there are a lot of big cities so flooding happens much more than on the eastern i might be wrong here i'm this is just coming from layman's perspective on the north we have uh, tectonic plates so earthquake happens a bit more especially in the uh, mountainous regions which causes different kind of disasters over there so uh, do we have some kind of plan in action uh, for cities over there that okay they are much aware that okay this is the higher possibility over here so maybe they are more prepared for earthquakes than floods and something on those lines Okay, so let me answer this in two parts, and I'm just sharing thoughts. There, there I mean, there's no clear sure, answer for many of sure. these uh, questions. <laughs> But firstly, I think we must acknowledge that a lot has happened in the last twenty odd years. Uh, yeah. The government has really moved. There is a national act. There's a national plan. There's a national mm-hmm. policy on disaster management. All states have got their acts and plans in place. Districts are having their own plans and and authorities to make this happen. And in I think almost all states there has been a concerted effort even to have city disaster management plan. So even some of the cities, you know, when I was alluding to cities growing without uh, plans, while they may be growing without plans, we we are as a society as a nation realizing that there needs to be uh, yeah. more conscious work on. on making these cities safer even if they are growing without a plan right so yeah. that's happening in a number of places and i think that's the good news that we have while we do this the slightly tricky part is uh, where what often you know some people would call the curse of knowledge so we <laughs> we we think we figured things out we know uh, we we we've got data we've got satellites we've got early yeah. warning and we think we figured it out but uh, you know what nature has been doing consistently is telling us that we still have a lot to learn yeah so uh, in fact if we look back at the last 15 16 years let's start from the mumbai floods which was the first time that india saw such a an urban event yeah. you know till then floods was something that happens in rural bihar orissa west bengal you see it in uh, images you know on newspapers yeah, yeah. and headlines you see poor people a family and a few goats stuck on a thatched roof and waving to a helicopter and water all that, that was the image of floods in yeah. india when people walking on that little median you know yeah. in the center of the road and and the roads flooded and buses inundated and people dying drowning in cars in bombay 
uh, it kind of hit us slow in the face. We we weren't prepared for this. This is not the image of floods as we knew it. Right? We called it unprecedented. Unfortunately, in coming years, we saw very similar scenes coming from Chennai, coming from Kochi, coming from Srinagar in Kashmir, yeah. uh, Surat. Uh, yeah. You uh, have have seen this happen, Bhopal. So unprecedented urban floods became very frequent. Yeah. Right. So and and then we had floods in Barmer in Rajasthan in the Thar Desert yeah, that yeah. killed and and we said. in 200 years this has never happened 200 years basically meant recorded history that's when we started yeah. keeping records so in recorded history we had never seen such a flood but it happened the very next year assam which annually sees floods was seeing a drought and droughts affect cities because i mean some people have started calling it the urban drought or urban water stress because there is a huge footprint uh, that the city has ecologically it yeah. needs to consume and when there is a drought in the region there is a whole socio economic impact because people then look to the city for food for employment there's migration and all kinds of problems pop up so so now everything was getting thrown off the gear then in 2010 you had the flash floods in leh in ladakh the yeah. mountain desert right uh so 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 one the way the climate is changing especially so and that would relate to all hydrometeorological events floods and droughts and cyclones and storms and heat waves mm-hmm. and cold waves the way the climate is changing it has become impossible to project the future based on past trends and all of us in the planning world whether we are economists or urban planners or regional planners we are trained to work with past trends 1901 you start and you make a graph oh this is how the population grew so this is how it will grow yeah. this is how disaster events happen and they are increasing so they will go on increasing at the same rate this is how the economy grew so this will grow it will grow right so we were assuming that trends is the safest way to plan and then we would you know try to play god with it and say okay there can be an accelerated growth model or there can be a decelerated growth model but in it's a little band in which you can move the trend is going to be followed yeah. now trends will not be followed and with what we are seeing in the last year uh, even trends on the way cities grow will not be followed it is not imperative to be in the city center to be able to work uh, in organizations that are based over there yeah. you can now be uh, way away from your workplace because you may be required to come only twice a week not only as long as the pandemic lasts but even beyond that there are organizations that have started giving up their office space selling their office buildings not because they don't have the money but because they've seen that they will not need that space even after the pandemic so the city growth model is going to change the infrastructure yeah. is going to get dispersed uh, people's requirements will change transportation requirements will change uh, energy being consumed by the cloud will change uh, data centers will rewrite how we you know live and given all of this plus the fact that climate change is already changing the hazards uh, that lurk around us yeah it's very difficult to anticipate the future so we have uh, we've we are at a point where uh, a lot more needs to be done and it is being done there are very intelligent uh, people and institutions uh, putting up very intelligent models to figure out how this can play out a uh, forecast which used to be earlier very long term we've lived with a 20 year horizon master plan for too long yeah. the master plan approach should have died decades ago 
but it it's there's no way it can survive anymore cities will change so fast that yeah. you will literally have to plan and execute in real time and that's something that we'll have to imbibe even as individuals who live in cities and those who work for cities and and to you know get the cities going and keep them working we'll have to understand that this master plan thinking and the approach where we we can model and know what the future going to be like is not yeah. going to work it, it will change and we have to change with it puneet yeah no uh, i absolutely agree with what you're saying that it's the change is too fast for it to follow any trends anymore it's it's no longer linear i'm not even sure how exponential it is is going up now and not just in case of disaster but every other kind of change that we are looking at uh, so when we when we are then talking about disasters the first uh, people to respond to it are uh, generally in the cities are uh, your fire services uh, police services and uh, hospital like i i believe fire services before police and hospital sometimes but how how are they given capacity to deal with such things uh, what kind of trainings and structures do they have which help them uh, you know prepare for it in a better way okay so let's talk about the structures they have and how it is seen and then for a few moments let's talk about uh, what needs to change with the changing world around us so how do we need to see that structure change? that sounds perfect uh, a, f- a few years ago uh, there was a massive study conducted by uh, the national disaster management authority nidm uh, was anchoring it seeds where i come from uh, yeah. did some part of that work and one of the uh, objective was to figure out how many people in india need to be trained on disaster management right yeah. so it seems like a very simple question it's very very difficult to break it down and yeah. and then you start thinking who all needs to be trained and you may want to start from the parliamentarians because that's where laws are written you know that's where yeah. stuff happens then you may want to talk about the economists and people sitting in the commissions that deal with finance and planning because money needs to be allocated so many times there are plans but they can't be executed kyunki uska budget to aaya nahi tha so people need to be executed right at the top level then people need to be executed who run the different uh, sectors for the country you know uh, health of course we are seeing nowadays critical player in disaster management uh, transportation communications power education all of these sectors will have a role it's a cross cutting thing there's no single sector which can say that i don't deal with disaster so i don't need to have a plan or or a budget for it right so it it's, it needs to go all across so we had a list of about 13 14 odd categories that went down to local groups and community volunteers okay. and uh, while that was not the largest number it, and it included the media it included the private sector uh, 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 and all of this total to about 13 million people that need to be trained on disaster management in india that was the government figure and the plan was to try and do it within 5 years uh, the 5 wow. years are have, have kind of run out uh, a, a lot has happened a lot is still to be done but you know that's the scale and the complexity of uh, of the system and there was a huge emphasis on urban within this study yeah. and these numbers right so now while uh, you i think you started at at the exact point where it needs to start is the fire people, the first responder like right? the fire brigade is often the first responder yeah. uh, they would rescue you from a well from when you're stuck in a flood uh, 
to the rooftop of a building that is on fire to stuck on a tree or whatever you know odd kind of things also they respond to but they are the first responder then of course the police is there to support for certain functions and to make sure that the links can happen and then of course the medical first response is there yeah. which is why now we don't have those traditional telephone directories but these were the three numbers that were always written you yeah. know on those and everywhere else right from the beginning so that happens but then again as we are seeing now behind these front lines that respond there's an entire machinery that needs to be well oiled yeah uh, uh, as we are seeing with the demand for uh, you know covid response in the health sector these days so it needs to be scalable and especially when you're talking about cities then our capacity to deal with mass casualties uh, needs to be there i remember again many years ago when this uh, upar uh, cinema hall in delhi had uh, caught a fire a very unfortunate yeah. incident a few dozen people died uh, it was really bad although still not a mass casualty scenario that we try to you know sketch when we talk of an earthquake uh, for example in delhi yeah and i remember uh, i used to I, i was still in college at that time punita i was at the school of planning and architecture and i couldn't i had a scooter i couldn't drive back home there was a city wide traffic jam and wow. of course i couldn't get into a bus i walked i mean i tried to hitch a ride and something but then eventually i walked 6 kilometers to get home which was near ina market because the whole city was in a gridlock because one cinema hall had caught fire right now imagine if there's an earthquake and there's 100 buildings that have uh, got damaged or collapsed or on fire and all your road signals are not working because there's no power your communication lines are down there is a city wide traffic jam that's you know it's eerie to think about uh, what would happen and eerie is the word in fact that comes to my mind is probably not the best word but it comes from another experience so i i i was uh, in haiti after a massive mm-hmm. earthquake uh, yeah. that happened uh, there about a decade ago and the one thing of the many things that i saw including collapsed hospitals and stuff like that but the one thing that stays with me is was talking to these local people and said how was it like right after the earthquake they said it was eerie because there was complete silence yeah. since all the entire power grid was down there were no traffic signals working so there was an instant traffic jam within a few minutes all the vehicles had been switched off and nobody could move from anywhere to anywhere there was no machinery running there was no vehicle running there were no people making a noise because they said everyone was looking very busy and walking silently everyone had to get somewhere yeah and they were quietly just walking walking there were like thousands of 10000s of people just walking on the streets quietly yeah. and it struck me you know when you think of earthquakes you only think of very cinematic kind of screen people screaming and things falling but yeah. you don't imagine that after 5 minutes there's pin drop silence in the city because nothing is working Yeah. and people are just walking from one place to the other to find their loved ones or get home or whatever so i think uh, so you know long winding answer but looking at the scale of the problem that we are staring at in the future yeah uh, it would be very narrow minded and narrow visions to be just looking at the police and fire and and the ambulances and others yeah. the quote that we often use and from gujarat times is that you and your neighbor are your most dependable first responders in a disaster so if you want to talk about capacity building let's start from you and your neighbor because he's yeah. or she is going to come for you and you're going to go for him or her and that's yeah. where response will really happen 
people will be uh, rescuing each other with their bare hands when that day arrives god forbid it arrives soon enough but one day it will and that's that's the image we need to have when we talk about response and capacities we can't put that on the shoulders of the government alone puneet yeah oh, that that does sound eerie to me right now as well like it and it's something that you can't even imagine i feel being a first responder as well as being calm over there and trying to help people out so coming to the other side of the story is on how now technology is kind of facilitating a lot of things so i was talking to a friend recently and we were discussing that how they helped in mapping so when the nepal earthquake came and they were like working from india trying to map the whole gis map voluntarily and there is certain kind of things that comes and goes on those lines with which at least helps first responders from across the world to also help in some format or the other can you give a highlight on those lines that what kind of technology interventions are now coming up uh, and how does it help uh, in all these activities so okay that's now that now we are entering a space where there's a lot of excitement and positivity i feel because i mean that's you know the strength of the human spirit is what keeps us going it's kept us going yeah. for centuries for generations there are there may be huge challenges all around us right now including like the climate emergency that we're facing but i'm a strong yeah. believer that we'll find a way out and we'll find a way out through ingenuity through innovations and technology so very rightly said you know and so this happened like 5 6 years ago in after the nepal earthquake and i, I and i remember some of those maps and i and i remember uh, having uh, you know interacted with some of those i mean i would call them kids who would stay up yeah. all night to literally work pixel by pixel and identify every single building that had collapsed you know on those mountain sides so and you know what's exciting with technologies that it's evolving so fast it's yeah. evolving so fast that even from those days from what was happening in nepal till today and what we are doing what we are able to do sitting in a little shack in south delhi today mm-hmm. is completely it was unimaginable even in 2015 when the gis maps were being made i'll i'll come to that in a moment but uh, uh, i think also in this last one year with the pandemic the one good thing that the pandemic did is that it drove digital stuff yeah. you know digital not just digital economies but it drove digitalization in organizations and in sectors like no ceo has ever been able to do I, uh and uh, and so a part of that is the way we are we are interacting now and yeah. and these conversations which we probably they were technically possible but they were not mainstream uh, yeah. till a year and a half ago but more importantly there's there's far more advanced technology that is now available to uh, start figuring out how will we address this uh, problem which we were talking yes. of a few moments ago where we don't know the future the future is not based on trends it's changing very fast we have to literally learn as we go yeah. we will have to see the change happening and be able to plan in real time and execute the plan in real time because tomorrow it will be changing in a different direction right now that's uh, uh, i don't want to use the technical term big data but that's actually an issue of a lot of data that's yeah big data happening out there right and even with the little cell phones that we all have most of us have in our pockets nowadays there's data being generated all the time yeah so uh, while we couldn't do it very efficiently when covid was spreading or even if it's spreading as we speak today 
it is right now technically possible to trace uh, people a lot more than arogya setu and other apps are doing yeah uh, there we need to learn a bit more and we need to learn a bit faster on how to uh, behaviorally get people onboarded and how to uh, uh, you know also tie a few loose ends around these things but yeah. it's a very affordable technology that can disaggregate plans to the individuals level today yeah and it can track track those in real time that can help people respond in real time so one of the uh, exciting programs that uh, i'm also linked with is this artificial intelligence for humanitarian action ai for uh, ha a call that comes out from microsoft it's a global program Yeah. and a small piece that we are doing in india and uh, in indian cities right now is to uh, literally like you said you know you could be sitting anywhere and you were mapping it's just that 5 years ago we were mapping manually with gis uh, software yeah. and now we are training uh, software to learn how to map oh. not only map to learn how to interpret and learn yeah. how to respond to it so uh, to explain in a very simple way now it is possible to access pretty high resolution satellite imagery yeah uh, even uh, even in the maps that you have on your phone whether it's a bing map or a google map uh, for a lot of places they are uh, the satellite imagery uh, behind it is at 30 to 50 cm resolution yeah. some of it is is a little fuzzy because legally with the latest revisions in india we can go up to a meters resolution for any maps that we want to generate and mm-hmm. be able to share with people so so that's the limit that we are working with right now legally Uh, bound to that, but technically it's possible to even go more than that. Yeah. Uh, and if you fly drones, which we are able to do now uh, legally yeah. in a number of places, uh, you can get imagery uh, in real time uh, at a five meter, uh, at a five centimeter resolution, right? Wow. So you can literally see of uh, any object more than five centimeters, but with the satellite image in your pocket, you can see any object that's more than a meter uh, in size, yeah. which means that you can see every rooftop. True. you can from that image figure out what the material of the rooftop is yeah right? and if you then apply if you if you use a uh, human understanding and intelligence and transfer it to machine learning by looking at the sizes of roofs and how closely they are clustered yeah you can identify which part of bombay or delhi or surat is a slum and which part is a high income area wow you can identify which part is uh, has reinforced concrete buildings which are 2 3 5 10 story high and which part is single storied buildings okay. you can identify the lay of the land you can see the river where the water is going to come from and you can identify how the water will fill as it fills in these areas now if you put these two three things together you can find let's say in surat as the water levels increase or as you are getting real as you are getting warnings from the met or or cwc yeah. uh, on flows you can literally in real time simulate how water will fill in different localities yeah and now you know where is there a house or a cluster of houses which is in the low lying land which is very tiny roofs about yeah. you know 5 square meter roofs obviously slum houses very tightly packed together you can make out these are tiled roofs or thatch roofs or uh, you know tarpaulin roofs which means that they can't be having uh, good solid walls yeah. and they can't be having solid foundations yeah. they are low lying so they are in soft soil they're yeah. so small that they can't have a toilet inside they're so uh, tightly packed and small that these families can't be having insurance yeah. they can't be having good jobs and bank accounts and assets to fall back upon 
they हाँ. obviously are migrants they don't have a social network in the city you can yeah. infer so much from that uh, one image yeah and a tile of that image and if you can teach your system to interpret it you can run that in real time for an entire city all the cities wow. in a state a few hundred cities and your warning can be of the nature uh, that puneet your house is going to see two and a half meters of water in the next three hours it will come from this direction it will stay for an hour but since it appears that you have mud mortar walls it may be best to evacuate the best house wow. to go to may be uh hitesh's house which is two buildings away uh, but it's a concrete house with three stories so and this is the best route that you can take or or, or you know any wow. any center that we point to that's what we have the capability to do as of today in affordable costs sitting in our shacks in south delhi or your or your library yeah. in an iua so you know that that's the excitement uh, that we need to be also having along with the despair that we see with uh with situations that are going bad around us and that's what we need to tap into both from the technology side but also from from the angle of policy to make this usable and and put it for widespread application from the point of your skills so that we can indigenize it it can be a mm-hmm. made in india program that runs with deep uh, rooted understanding with an understanding that bridges technology and traditional wisdom and it brings mm-hmm. you know good stuff from all these domains together punit wow this this absolutely sounds exciting to me and it's it's something that i do get excited when i see like okay there is there is still a good amount of hope that is there there is still a good amount of optimism in technology when we are looking at it and how it can actually you know help us make things better uh so i i think to uh, one of the last question that we generally ask is on the lines of what kind of skill sets are required and which you can cover in generality but uh, i would also like try to focus a bit on technology uh, aspect of it that how can what kind of uh, skill set would someone require to be able to develop this kind of solutions uh, to be able to volunteer into such kind of things as well as uh, make their ventures out of it because i am sure that there are a lot of non profit startups also working in this sector okay so mm. i think that's a great question and a great question to start winding up with uh, because it sets uh, it sets a call for action and uh, as you started let me also respond with a with a more generic uh, you know thought process yeah. and i've been reading about this a lot that it's being said that children who are in elementary school today yeah and i have a kid there and you may have kids or cousins or nieces and nephews but yeah. or grandchildren but these kids uh, will when they grow up to uh, and come out of college to seek jobs about two thirds of them will be in jobs that don't exist today yeah so so my generation and you're younger to me so you but you you've seen film then you read that bit where <laughs> there was a time when the choice used to be ki doctor banoge ya engineer right yeah and everything else was like the dumps yeah. and from there we grew into a lot of other things we did a lot of creative stuff we we mixed and merged professions but the f- fact is the way we can't project into the future around what disasters will hit us and what tools we'll have we'll have to learn very fast to do that similarly on skill sets whether it's for elementary school going children or young professionals who are entering the streams as of today yeah. or those of us who may still want to be working for a few more years 
we need to learn like crazy yeah uh what we've been doing even till last year is not going to help us next year we will be obsolete and we will be pretty redundant so we all need to really uh, pull our socks up and i don't want to talk about sectors because a lot of this will cut across sectors but especially for any youngsters who are entering you know these domains and and beginning to make their careers yeah. i would say that at the core of it problem solving has to be your forte uh it's it's not about you can't walk a uh, an already walked path there is no beaten path that will take you anywhere in in 2021 if you know if you're trying to look at a future so so the ability to anticipate uh, and to work with problems and to be able to find uh not a solution but a range of solutions that you can play with that you can fail with and you can fail very fast and learn very fast and improve that's what's going to keep you ahead in the race and that's uh, i i know a very generic thing but i think that's critically important uh, in terms of skills i would talk about two things i would say one is uh, logic you know be able to see the larger picture yes. and then run the logic of how the system is operating it's not about solving the problem of building i you know i spent years uh, years ago trying to work on retrofitting seismic retrofitting in the himalayan region i still am very passionate about it but i realized that by the time you've retrofitted 20 school buildings 15 new schools have come up which have you know built more yeah. risk into it because you could not fix the system you were trying to fix a bandaid on a huge problem right yeah so systemic logic systemic problem solving a part of that will be answered by uh, technology like we spoke about artificial intelligence real time modeling and response a part of it will have to be answered through uh, you know devising and planning new institutional systems that will respond to these uh, yeah. these uh, kind of challenges that we will see and the last uh, which uh, which we haven't spoken about much today may seem a little unrelated but i think we need to work a lot on communications mm-hmm. and a lot of the a lot of the investment that we are trying to make in disaster resilience is failing because we are not able to communicate it well we just assume that transferring knowledge or setting up a certain set of infrastructure will solve the problem mm-hmm. and then too late in the day we realize that till people are convinced those who are yeah. supposed to run the system and those who are supposed to benefit from it till they are convinced till we move beyond knowledge and skills to get into attitudes till we get into intent till we yeah. understand the human mind and the psychology that runs behind it uh, yeah. this awareness generation is not it has not delivered and it is not going to deliver in my opinion we have to get into behaviors and behavior change and human psychology and the psychology yeah. of cities in particular since we are talking urban today and that would be my thinking and my advice at least to the youngsters puneet no i i do agree and i do agree on the communications point i i absolutely believe in that and because of that we have a specific uh, episode on those lines call on communicating climate change specifically because we do believe that it's not uh, just a simple thing about okay we are prepared and we have built capacity that's not going to work it's not for the masses it's for the top people or administration whatever that is for when you want to reach out to masses you need to have good amount of communication that everyone learns how to take it forward and that that will be very important i absolutely believe in that process so i would just like to ask yeah. if i have missed out on any point that you would like to cover before we close off this thing 
Hey, I think you asked everything that's worth asking. <laughs> Good set of questions. I can't think of anything beneath. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much, Anshu. This was absolutely wonderful interview that I could do with you and understand it in a much better context. Understand much more about technology and how it can be path breaking in this field. Thank you so much for your time. Great pleasure, Puneet. You have been listening to Understanding the Future podcast. To know more about Climate Center for Cities, check out our website www.niua.org/c-q. The show is conceptualized, produced, and edited by Punit Gandhi, Senior Associate at CQ. You can now subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel, which can be accessed through the credits. Also, don't forget to follow us on our social media for more updates. Do share your reviews with us and help us spread the podcast to your friends and colleagues. Do write to us if you would be interested in learning about any specific topics. Thank you, and stay tuned for our next episode.